Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have the House of Mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro David North Martino John Copenhaver and Al Warren on one hundred two point three FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five oh AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mister Dave Martino is here. <laughs> the I star. Am here. The star. The star. Halfway on your YouTube channel. Holy yes. cow! Yeah. Halfway to a thousand. <laughs> See, look how my how famous you're getting in in a short oh, yeah. time. Well, you oh can, yeah, right. I'll let you you take over the show. You start running it. <laughs> sure, yeah, with, with five hundred uh, subscribers. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's a start. We all start. It's somewhere. a start. It's good. It's good. First show, I think I had one person listen. <laughs> so, everyone starts yeah. somewhere. Get to start somewhere. That's right. Yeah, At the beginning, middle, and end. We're about to hit our thousandth show. Wow. Yeah, 1,000 show, and that's coming up in, geez, less than two weeks. We'll be there. You know, it's amazing. Milestone. Yeah. Oh, and actually, there's more shows, too. That's just 1,000 that I'm allowing to be released. <laughs> 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 just for the people that, you know, have, have been with me since the beginning. There was a lot of other shows I did, too, right? So. Um, so that's that's the stuff in the secret vault. Yeah, that's the stuff I haven't decided <laughs> yet because I was really bad. <laughs> anyway so so let's see now we are going to be talking uh horror classic horror today and we've got a uh really good writer here he's been on just before and so people should know him and if you missed that show you should go back and listen 
That was about his book called A Child Alone with Strangers. And, of course, that, I believe, is up for a few awards, too. Um, so now joining us to talk about his new book called Gothic, we've got Mr. Philip Fricassi. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you so much, Alan. Great to be back. Yeah. So Your Child Alone with Strangers, is that right? I think it got a few nominations, or it's certainly got a lot of attention. Yeah, it's been getting pretty good attention. It's... um. It's been getting a lot of great reviews, um, and uh, it hasn't been, as far as I know, it hasn't been nominated for any awards, but it just came out, um, you know, late October of last year. So it's pretty, still pretty new to the field, and I'm already cannibalizing it with another book. So <laughs> probably not helping, probably not helping myself <laughs> on that front, but it is what it is. No, and that's that's kind of a tough thing. I I do this all the time because I write I'm writing a series for the House of Mystery with, with interviews and stuff and different murder shows, mm. and then at the same time I'm writing my book, and sometimes they all come out at the same time, and it I I think it sort of it might hurt, but I don't know, you know. Well, it's certainly a lot more chaotic. It's certainly a lot more to promote, right? And um, yeah, but it's weird. I have. You know, as it turned out, I think I had something crazy like four books all coming out within a 12-month window, and three of them which are novels, and because uh, I have another one coming out in July, and it's just, um, it just worked out that way. You know, it was certainly not planned. It just, it, you know, you you spend all, all these years trying and trying and trying to sell, you know, your books to publishers, and and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the dam kind of breaks and, and you sell stuff and it's great, but, um, but then you have to kind of figure out when everything's going to come out. So yeah, but it's, um, it's, uh, but I ho- hopefully things will slow down a little bit, uh, um, moving forward just so I can get like not have to promote four books at the same time would be nice, but it is, it is a blessing to have so many, um, publishers willing to put my work out there. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Cause that's, that's usually the, the hard thing is the publishers sometimes don't want so much so so fast, you know, right. and and so it kind of gets in the way. But I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, in a sense, because uh, I found at the end of the day, as time goes by, the books end up all doing well. Um, it's just, I think you get so overwhelmed. And if anything, when you're doing a lot of the promoting, it probably takes away from your writing time, like right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Last year. 2022 was a very difficult year on that front because I had a lot of writing to do. And I also had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of responsibility to promote the books that were coming out. Um, you know, this year is going to be not quite as bad because, you know, uh, Child Alone with Strangers is out there now and, uh, Gothic is coming out on Friday. Um, and then I'll have a nice break to, uh, to write a new book for, um, Nightfire and Orbit that's coming out in 2024. Um, before I have to start really getting into the promotion of um, of my book coming out in July, so so yeah, things will, things will steady out a little bit here. But it's like I said, it's it's a really you know it's a great problem to have for sure. Yeah, it could be worse. Yes, it could be a lot. <laughs> I've been there. I've been in the worst part. You know, I mean, you could be logging the books through the drive-through when you're working, right? And do you still have to do a job, or are you kind of broken away from working? No, I've been I've been fortunate to have. You know, I think just over a year now, um, I've been writing full time, but actually not so much, but a year and a half. I've been writing full time now. And, um, so I'm very fortunate, um, that, 
It's, you know, and it's partly the books. Um, selling the books has been obviously uh, stabilizing financially, but, you know, there's also things that are going on on um, with film and TV adaptation, and that money has, you know, helps a lot, and I've done some screenwriting work, and that helps a lot. So I, I when I write full-time, I don't, I'm not just writing a book, you know, and sitting, you know, sitting at home typing this one book for like the whole year. I'm, I have like, you know, eight or nine projects all going on simultaneously. And some of them are screenplays. Some of them are, you know, I'm writing short stories for entertainment companies that hire me, or I'm, um, you know, doing deluxe editions of my books and I make a little bit of money there. I'm writing articles or essays or reviews. So I do a lot of different things to try and, you know, make, make it a, make it a full-time job. So it's, you got to hustle uh, for sure, but the books are, 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 are kind of like the reward, you know, when you get your book put out, it's, it's worth all the hard work for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're sort of like me all over the place. Got a lot of things going. Yeah. I think you have to be, if you want to, if you want to do it full time and you're not a New York times bestseller. <laughs> uh, and even if you are, um, sometimes I think you gotta, you gotta hustle and, and, find income in, in a lot of different ways. Well, for me, it's more about, um, I only have so much time left. Good Lord. <laughs> this got dark. <laughs> well, no, that's, well, that's perfect setup. This is my segue into your writing, but uh, no, in the sense that, no, when I turn 60, it sort of, it hits you all of a sudden, holy cow, 60. Yeah. And, and all these people are dropping off in their 70s, 80s. So you're thinking, well, 20 years, maybe. So I've still got a lot to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's different than when you're 30. Even when you turn 40, because I mean, you can do 20 good years easy and you're still only 60 or 50. So it's just a different uh, feeling. I sort of, um, I have no problem keeping lots going because you do it while you can, you know? I mean, it's different for you. You're younger, but. Well, I'm not that much younger. I'm in my 50s, but I, I hear you. I actually wrote an article. Um, I'm sorry, I wrote a blog post. I think it was about a year ago where I. I think the title of which was "It's not prolificity, it's panic." Yeah. You know, so, I was kind of responding to the fact that it's like, look, it's not that I um, am such a you know wizard with when it comes to writing a lot. It's because I'm completely panicked about getting everything written out that I want to, uh, you know, while I have time, while I while I can. So um, I, I'm 100 percent with you on on that front, and I I not in a morbid way, but I definitely think like to your point, it's like. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, this is, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, people find comfort in different things as it pertains to like how they, you know, leisure time, I guess you, I guess, in a, and uh, for me, this is all I want to be doing. So I'm very happy to just be at my desk working 12 hours a day, every day is, um, you know, for me is, is a, is a blessing and it's very fulfilling. So I, I, I love it. No, I think it is too. It's a thrill. I think I'm a combination of, Panic and uh, and also the thing is you strike while you can because once you get some attention and people do notice you and you're and you're having some success, you want to put the best foot forward. You want to keep doing it, or I do anyway. I want to make sure for sure um, because that 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 fifteen minutes can go real quick. You know, I mean, uh, it doesn't take long. Yeah. I'm not buying any boats. <laughs> Come on, you're not doing the. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoarding. I'm hoarding every dime I can uh, because exactly right. Because you never know. And and as writers, we all know this is. Um, you got to you you know you got to ride the ups and the downs. You know the peaks and the valleys and all that stuff. And uh, 
you know, things are going great <clears throat> right now, but you know, 2018, I, you know, I couldn't sell, you know, a book or a story to save my life. And now I can't write fast enough. So it's, um, but it could go back to that, you know, any day. Uh, so you, you know, so you try and yeah, definitely just kind of like work as hard as you can hope for the best, but, um, try and keep an even keel and keep hoarding, hoarding those dimes because you might need them next year. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Otherwise you end up, you know, being a hooker somewhere again. <laughs> uh, well, some people see that as dark. I see that as kind of fun, but, um, you it know. depends what corner you're working, man. Yeah, you know? it depends. You know, it might be a high end one. You Who know, your like, pimp is, all that stuff. There's a lot. Yeah. That comes, there's a lot that comes into it. High end one. You know, they fly me away for weekends to nice hotels. And this there you isn't, go. This isn't. I don't have to go to the street. You know, classy. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that brings up um, your book. Speaking of dark, now Gothic is a very um, the name in itself. Uh, I think brings to mind something a little darker, a little bit scarier. So yeah. what, what what kind of concept do you have here? Yeah, so, you know, all my books tend to be a little bit different. It's kind of whatever, you know, like whatever I'm feeling like. And, um, you know, Child Lone Strangers was very much a crime thriller um, with, with strong horror elements, obviously. Um, you know, Gothic is really an old-school throwback horror novel. Uh, I really wanted to write something that in my mind was a bit of an homage to, you know, the Stephen King and Dean Koontz and Clive Barker and Peter Straub novels. I grew up reading in the eighties and, and there's a lot of like wink and, you know, nudge references in the novel to a lot of um, horror authors, contemporary and, um, and, you know, from the, from the past as it were, but um, yeah, I just wanted to write something that was like um, sort of like, a late night cable B movie kind of like horror movie. The ones that you used to rent on VHS when you were a kid, uh, when I, well, when got people like our age were kids um, and you, and you'd go over to your buddy's house with six friends and you'd put the movie in and you'd watch it till the tape ran out. I really just kind of wanted to create that sort of vibe. Um, I call it like a Sam Raimi vibe for those who are familiar and enjoy Sam Raimi. But so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a throwback horror novel. It's a lot of fun. It's a little campy. It's really scary. Um, it's pretty violent. It's very dark. Um, but, but ultimately it's supposed to be like a haunted house, you know, it's a, it's a ride. And, um, so that hopefully people take it as such and, you know, and enjoy and enjoy it. But that was the idea behind writing it. Yeah. Geez, you know, I'm so old. I remember that we didn't just have to rent the VHSs. We had to rent the machine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to I remember I used doing to, that myself. I used to write the well, I used to well, I don't want to get weird, but I used to do when you know, you go to like <laughs> when you go to like a cabin <laughs> or you'd go like, you know, to a house where, you know, maybe you're on a date and you wanted to watch a movie and didn't you didn't have like a TV there or whatever. You did. You'd go to Blockbuster and you'd rent the VHS and some videos and Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Now you just Yeah, my wife and I did that. Yeah. Yeah, now they just you just pull up your laptop and you're good. And you're good to go. As long as you, as long as you have Wi-Fi. Him and his wife did that just last week. So, <laughs> well, you know, a VHS purist, yeah. Dave. I like it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I like it. Hey, I still have a VHS. Uh, I have a VCR. I still have one. Oh, good for you. I do. Yeah, is it hooked up and everything? It is hooked up. Wow. Do you have like a? Uh, do you have like a VHS stash? Like your? 
Um, I have a lot of stuff, like projects that I worked on in school and stuff. But yeah, oh, I got <laughs> but uh, I do have some. Yeah, I I had I think I think about until about I think about five years ago I finally was like, okay, that's enough. I'm just gonna like, <laughs> get rid of all, get rid of all this stuff and uh, like come on, like it's taking up a lot of space. Yeah, well, it know? does, and I love the collect. It's uh, like having yeah. the C. It's like having the CD. <laughs> it's like having all the CDs in your closet. You're like, why do I have all these CDs? Yeah, but you? what do you do with them? I don't know what I'm gonna do with. I've got like, you throw them out. Oh, man. but I. I feel oh, like no. that feels like such a <laughs> disgrace. You know, let my I'll just I know. Die and let someone in the younger generation throw it out. I yes. Well, I did it in state. I did it mine in stages. So I had the CDs with the CD cases, right? And then, and then I got rid of the cases and I put all the CDs into like those big CD binders. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll, 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 but I was like, but then I didn't want to throw away the artwork. So I kept the little booklets and I kept the CDs and now I've got these giant folders. Yeah, I have the same thing. <laughs> They're like in the attic, right? And I'm like, <laughs> and I refuse to let them go. I have thirty of those book binders full of CDs. I pr- I think I have like three. I don't have. 30. Oh, I have thirty. I was crazy. I have like it's yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah, and they're just in, they're just in a box in the attic. It's ridiculous. But I refuse to get rid of them. Keep them. Save them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Let my kid figure out what they are. That's right. When, he, when, when I die and they go through all my stuff in the attic, I'll be like, "What are these things?" Yeah. Until he finds the cassettes. I know, right? You know, I I, I did want to ask though, uh, why old school horror? Why why did you decide to go back to uh, like the eighties and the nineties? Was there something that compelled you? I think I just wanted. Well, I I don't think so. You know, I I write. I'm very um, when I write something or take on a new project, it's very much um, how I. It's a mood thing. It's what I feel, what interests me at that time. So, like, I've written, um, you know, I, I, like the book I have coming out uh, in July is like, it's, it's, that's like, that's like a period piece. And then, uh, but it's also very horror. But then I wrote a science fiction novel that, um, I'm, a, you know, in the process of selling to another publisher. So, um, and then I have like another book that's a th- straight thriller that has, I would not even say, you know, is horror. So I kind of write by whatever I'm in the mood. To write, I don't really hold, you know, I don't keep myself in one lane. I like being able to write whatever I feel like writing. But I think with Gothic in particular, because this, the, the, the plot is about a writer, a horror writer, everyone can roll their eyes now, but it's about a horror writer who is, you know, in his late sixties and he's had his heyday and he was huge in the nineties and eighties, a la all those authors I mentioned. And now he is no, and now he doesn't want to write horror anymore he wants to write historical fiction but the publisher is banging on him to write to you know write another another new york times bestseller horror novel and he's kind of lost it and he gets this antique desk from his partner that is basically cursed and 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 he starts using it and he starts writing amazing dark super 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 dark horror and it becomes a big hit again but the desk has a you know it's very faustian the desk you know, it takes a price. So it's him struggling with basically it's a morality thing, which is success versus, you know, happiness in a way. And um, so I think that being the story, I really wanted to write it, immerse it in that kind of old school horror vibe because of that was the story I was writing. Because in a way, it's kind of like I said, it's it's a bit of a, you know, a late night cable movie premise and so i thought i would just really go for it and have fun with it and and kind of make it like an old you know write it like an old school horror novel so um that's kind of why i think i think that's partly why i decided to write it in that in that way um 
just because of the it fit thematically with the with the plot. You also said that it, it's a mood thing, so um, awfully dark, right? So, what have you been in a dark mood? This is where you know you got some problems here. <laughs> I'm always in a dark mood. Alan. <laughs> I'm a horror writer. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it, 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 it been darker lately. You know, you can tell us. No, nope, we well, won't tell anyone. No, it's no, it's actually been great lately. Like we talked about, I'm actually, you know, I've been having a lot of fun, uh, you know, with all the stuff coming out. Um, but I do think there is a, I do think that you do write a bit to your own emotional state to some degree. And I think it, um, maybe not the story or the plot, but definitely the way you write. And, uh, writing like that science fiction novel was such a different experience because it was a, kind of like it was basically you know a lot of hard science so i was reading a lot of books on physics and you know all that kind of and science and all that kind of stuff and i was talking to scientists and you know picking their brains about time travel stuff and um and it was such a it was just a very different experience because when you write something like gothic man you just sit down and you go you know it's just um it's just you know it's so much fun uh for me uh to write something like that because I don't have to worry about, you know, historical elements. It's not a period piece. It's not, you know, there's no hard science elements to it. It's just made up hysteria. So, um, so it was, it was a fun, it was a fun project for me to fit in between maybe some projects that were difficult. A Child Alone with Strangers was a very difficult novel to write because there's so many moving parts. There's so many characters. It's also, it takes place in the 90s or the 80s, I think. And, um, and there's a lot of crime elements. So I wanted to get all the police procedural stuff right. So that was kind of a really difficult novel to write. And Gothic was really just like a blast. I just had so much fun writing it. So, I'm, so, and then I'm, you know, then I kind of wrote those other novels. One was a period novel, one was science fiction. The novel I'm writing right now was a period novel. So I'm actually interested to get back into Gothic 2. I had an idea for a sequel that I'm deba- debating writing. And again, it's just because I feel like writing something really fun and, you know, that I can just sit down at the desk and, you know, go, go for it. Um, so I think it's kind of like all those elements come into play when you decide what you want to, what you want to do next. How do you get into the mind of someone that's going insane? Like in this, this, this sort of story, I, I don't even know if going insane is really describing it, but to, you know, he's no, that's right. He, yeah. There's something going on. And so what do you do to put yourself in that state? Well, you know, it just comes really naturally. <laughs> I would love to tell you that I had to do something to kind of put myself there. But, you know, I think it's one of, in all honesty, and this, you know, I say this with as little ego as possible. I don't mean it that way, but I do think that one of the things about being a good writer or being, a, you know, being able to write a lot of different characters and a lot of different situations and a lot of different voices. Um, I think it's just sort of, it's one of the things that I inherently have that is like a talent that I am able to do it. It's just something that I was born with. Um, you know, I, I just like, you know, just like anyone who is a specialist, specialist in something like I'm terrible at pretty much everything else, but I am very good at like thinking, um, putting myself into a lot of different people's heads. Um, you know, whether it be a, you know, a child, uh, or, you know, an, whatever, an older woman or an insane person or a serial killer or a monster. Um, you just, for some reason, for me, it's it's very easy just to kind of slide around and slip into those different different um, mindsets. So, yeah, it's just I think part of it is um, for me anyway. Um, I think a lot of it comes from 
my imagination is somewhat visual. So once I kind of have the idea of what the, and, and also I, it's uh, characters are easy for me. Once I develop a character and I kind of know who they are and what their deal is and how they think and how they act and what their motivations are. um, For me, it's very easy just to start writing like them or, you know, using their voice. Um, So yeah, I just, it just, it was just, you know, I was nothing um, different than I do with anybody else. Cause even in the same scene, you're, as you guys know, you're writing four different voices and they all have to be authentic. So you just, you just kind of jump from one to the other to the other. Um, hmm. You don't dress up in a, in a woman's dress. She's, I see you as an old lady. <laughs> I'm not a method writer. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I bet you that would be fun. You know, I do. I will say, th- I will say this. I mean, the only, the only things that I guess, you know, as far as mood is concerned is there are some stories um, and there are some novels where when able, you know, when deadlines aren't an issue, but, you know, there are some books that are easier to write at night, for example, that are very difficult for me to write in during the day, like when there's the sun, sunlight coming through the window. Um, Gothic was one of those books. Um, Boys in the Valley was one of those books. Uh, a couple stories I've been writing, I definitely am much easier for me to slip into the right mindset um, when it's when the, you know when it's dark outside or when it's nighttime. So, and then the other that's that you know that does you know that is something that is very you know real. And then the other thing that um, that I that I do is I, uh, I I listen to the music I listen to when I write. Um, I don't listen to any music with with vocals, but I I have a lot of different I have about a hundred different things that I choose from when I'm writing something. And once I get um, a specific soundtrack or a specific composer or a specific what artist whatever it is um, for that book or that story, I don't stray from that. I it's um it sinks me right back into that that moment so or that mood for that book or the tone for that book so those are the two things i guess that would i would say influence me when i'm writing a specific story you know is when i write it during the time of day and also what i listen to to kind of get me right back into that 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 book or story well vocals drowned out the um drown out the 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 voices right (laughs) well yeah that i can't do there are a lot of writers who can write like i know like paul tremblay is a horror writer he writes to like you know, um, hard punk rock and with, you know, that like, um, and, um, but I can't, if I hear words, you know, if, if someone's singing something, it's, I can't, it, it throws me off completely. So I, I can't hear anyone. <laughs> uh, I can't hear anyone else talking while I'm trying to like, you know, write dialogue or whatever, or even write prose. It's just, it's, it, it breaks my brain. So yeah, I'm the same way. Some people write with, they can, it doesn't bother them. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's really, it surprises yeah, me. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. yeah, can you, Ellen? Yeah, so it's weird, right? I, I usually have two TV programs going and the oh music. Oh, my God. No, I, I'm basically a white noise kind of guy. I, I, oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, I can't do all that distraction. <laughs> would drive me crazy. I get so, I get just get, I just get too like immersed in it, and I think it. But no, but you see the, yeah, but you see when you've got three or even four things going. I've got my, no, I've got like Miami Vice going. I've got um, some punk music going. And then I've got some <laughs> Hawaii Five O, the classic going. I've got all this stuff going on. That anxiety is what I want to write. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to capture my own anxiety when I write. Even if I'm not writing about a character that has anxiety, I'm writing in that feeling, if that makes sense. It does make, that's really interesting. And I wonder if that's why some people, like I was mentioning, Paul, like I wonder if that's why, because it, it gives them that sense of urgency. And I will say that that's, you know, to a degree, that is like, you know, depending on what I'm listening to, sometimes it's, you know, very serene and sometimes it's very aggressive, but it's always, but yeah, so I get it totally. I, um, and there are people like that, like there, it's just kind of how you're we're wired, right? Like there are people who need a TV on to sleep, which I'll, something I'll never understand, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's just white noise to them or it's just, it's just soothing for them. So it's just, yeah. How do you, you talk about developing your characters, um, do you do you write out them write out character sheets? Um, do, do you learn about them as you go, um, and then kind of go back and fill in uh, from 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 the beginning? How do you do that? Um, no, I don't do that, and 
Um, and I know a lot of writers do, and I know it's kind of a standard practice. I, um, the, no, I don't really, the only thing I prep before writing is the story. Um, I prep the, you know, I, I write, I write pretty extensive outlines for my novels. So, um, it's really just about the beats, you know, for the plot and the action and the sequencing, um, is not, cause when I'm writing, I don't want to worry about that stuff. I just want to work, focus on the right, the, the prose and the voices in my head and all that stuff. I don't want to worry about like what's going to happen next plot wise. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a big outliner, but I, I, but I know exactly what you're describing. And no, I don't do that. The only thing I come up with ahead of time, um, that I write down is like their names. Uh, sometimes I write down, um, a very brief description of what they look like, um, just so I can reference it and I don't forget, <laughs> you know, sometimes you forget what color eyes, you know, what someone has or whatever. Um, but for the most part, they're, they're all just in my head. And, um, and I just kind of run with, with that. I, for whatever reason, I don't, I know that, uh, there, I, I know it's an exercise where you can, sometimes writers will write like, um, like a, a a background to their character, like a, like a page of background, like where they came from and their, you know, their childhood and, you know, kind of some things about them just so they can feel more immersed in that character and who that person is, which I think is, you know, a great idea. I, I personally have never done that and I haven't ever really felt the need to do it. I think there are definite moments though. You mentioned while I'm writing, I think there are definitely moments while I'm writing um, here and there where, um, I'll be curious about how a character would respond to something and I might kind of step away for a minute and sort of think about it. And I think even once or twice I've written like some notes because when I, when I outline, I use, um, Scrivener. So I have all my bullet points there for my story. Then I also have my characters and I have like images and stuff that I use for reference. And in those image, in those character folders or whatever files, I'll like make some quick notes like about, um, something that maybe pertains directly to something I'm writing about during, during the writing of the book or whatever. So, so it does, it does happen, but for the most part, no, I don't do a lot of pre-development for characters. I think once they, I think once I've got them in my head, um, they're, they're kind of there. The, one of the ways I describe my, how I choose what to write, and this pertains to kind of what you said is when I have an idea, I let it sort of just, hang out in my head, you know, rent free and, um, typically, and I kind of like play around with it while I'm doing other things or I just think about it or I sleep on it or whatever. And usually when I have an idea, if I, if characters start growing out of that idea and start interacting around that idea, then I know it's a good idea. And I know it's, I've got something. If I'm thinking about an idea and those characters don't come to life and the idea just kind of, kind of the idea just kind of stagnates, then I usually ditch it and move on. Like I know that sounds weird and a little <laughs> hippie, but that's sort of, um, but that's generally how I, when I, like I think, and I start getting, and then once the characters are formulated and they start doing stuff and they start interacting and they start, you know, creating more, you know, they kind of start stretching that idea like taffy and all of a sudden there's all these different things happening. That's when I get excited. And that's when I sit down and start writing an outline. So I'm interested in um, when you, um, see people on the street or people in the store or people around, do you sort of write them as a character in your mind? Like you just see people somewhere and you just kind of go and kind of picture who they are and kind of characterize them somewhat. I don't think 
I, w- I don't think I don't think it's about when I see somebody. Um, I think it's just you know, a characters tend to be you know an amalgam of all the people we've experienced over our lives, and I think it's those little experiences that you have that uh kind of like in Terminator 2, you know, when the when the when the, when the rope T1000 or whatever blows up into all those little bits of, you know, shiny mercury and then they all kind of like slowly congeal together. It's sort of like I think with a character is like you have all these little bits of mercury from your life and these little incidents of these little, you know, you or conversations you've had or you know, experiences you've had with people or uh and then you kind of like mush them all together in your head to make, you know, one new character. I think it's more about that than it is about, you know, if I see somebody, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting person. More um, and less about that and more, I think it's just something that kind of comes from the, you know, the pool of experience, you know, where I've just had, you know, met, you know, in, had experiences with so many different interesting, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad uh, humans. And those, all those experiences, I think, kind of helped me build um, the characters in my head. And, you know, and it's not always something that's just like comes to me, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, being transparent, I mean, being a male, you know, writer, it's, it's a little more of a challenge for me to write female characters because I don't have as much experience with female character, you know, in my life and also in my own imagination and with the things that I've experienced as a, as a, as a human being on planet earth. You know, I haven't had a lot of the, you know, I haven't had any of those female experiences. So I work a little harder when it's a, when it's a character that I don't have as much experience interacting with or personal experience, experiencing things that they might be experiencing, thoughts, feelings, you know, and also just like events in their life. So I work harder to try and make those characters authentic um, by talking to other people or, you know, getting input or whatever it is. But yeah, but it, it, it's, it's a, it's a character characterization is very tricky and um, it's something that I actually really focus on. It's something I do work really hard at. Um, Cause I do want, even in my most, you know, crazy, you know, horror stories. Um, I always want the characters to feel authentic so that the reader feels the experience a little more than they would if the character was cartoonish or one dimensional or whatever. Well, you got to start trying on dresses again and that'll get you in the character. It, it comes was, back it, to that. Always it comes back to the dress. You know, makes the deal. It does. Right. When, so how right. do you know when your book is done? How do you know? Um, is there some sort of particular thing that happens? Is it a feeling, or just like, when do you know that? Okay, this is done. This is ready. You know, I think you can. I'm sure you guys can. You know, sympathize with this. Is that you never really feel like the book is done. You know, I don't. I never read. If I don't have to, um, that is, but once a book is published, um, man, I never want to look at that book again because all I'll see are all, 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 all I will see are all the things that are wrong with it. You know what I mean? That I should have fixed or, um, that I, that I can't fix now. So I think anyone could tell you that you could go on writing and rewriting a book forever. I think, um, but, but to answer your question more constructively, I feel like, um, when my process is I, I write the book or story, I do one on screen, you know, rewrite where I just go through and clean up all the pros and make sure it makes sense and all that kind of stuff, flush out things and all that kind of deal. And then maybe I do a third pass depending on 
how good the second pass is. But for the most part, my first drafts are pretty, I would say 90% went there. Um, and, um, and then I print everything out and I do it like a red line. And then I, I do something unusual that I don't think a lot of writers do, which is after I've done a red line edit, um, I actually, uh, go to Amazon, Amazon's KDP program. And what I do is I do, I print out a bound copy of the book. I create my own personal arc of the book, you know, advanced reading copy of the book, because I want to read it in bound format before anyone else reads it, even in manuscript form. Um, cause I find things reading it in a, you know, in a, in a book that I don't, didn't find reading it on, you know, printed out computer paper or didn't find, you know, discover reading it out on the screen. So once that's all done, then is when I usually send it off to the editor and they do their proofreading and stuff like that. And, you know, and fixing errors and all that kind of thing. And then, so there's all this process, process, process. And really it's not until that final, you know, where you're going through and fixing the, you know, a handful of small typos or whatever that I really feel like, okay, I feel like the book is not ready for publication. As far as the story is concerned, uh, like I said, I, the first draft, my first drafts are pretty much, are pretty clean. Um, so, you know, I feel like once I get that, once I get that first draft, then I feel like the story is done. And really from there, it's just yeah. sweetening it. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you, you see things in a bound style book rather than a, um, just a manuscript printed out. That's interesting. There must be just the way it's presented. Hey, the way it looks. I think it's just the way you experience it. Yeah. Because when I'm reading a, you know, double spaced manuscript, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really experiencing the book. I'm reading the, type i'm reading the text you know i'm i'm reading for errors i'm reading very clinically i guess would be the way to put it it doesn't feel like a book yeah and then when you're reading a book and it's in book form and it's single space and the whole thing or whatever um you kind of you you it's 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 staggering how much i catch um and i have all my books i'm looking up at them where i have dog-eared to death you know where i've just made corrections um, on those bound copies because there was stuff that I didn't find or that even proofreaders or editors didn't find. Um, just reading, just reading from the manuscript. So yeah, I think it's just how you experience the book, um, experience the story. And I think you experience it a different way, reading it like you would read any other book versus like reading a manuscript. At least for me. Right. Yeah. No, it kind of makes sense, you know? So there's Amazon. Is that like a book site? <laughs> 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 remember oh, when sorry. amazon just was literally they just sold books and every, and it was like yep. what how are they ever gonna make money just selling books that's insanity <laughs> i'm not gonna invest in that stupid company yeah as, what a waste of money yeah it's a dummy yeah. um but uh yeah yeah amazon yeah that's and it's interesting people have asked me how they i do it and it's and it's the same thing as if you were to self-publish a book it's the same process you you would go through but and then when you get to the very last stage, when you're about to hit the like, you know, publish button, you know, before you hit the publish button, Amazon asks you if you would like to receive, you know, arc, you know, uh, proofs. And so I order the proofs and I just never actually hit the publish button. So I just, and I can always go back and order more and more of those proofs if I need them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an issue. It's for me, it's a very helpful. I don't do that for my sh stories or anything like that. I, I only do it for, for my novels. When you complete a book like this, um, how do you think it changes you? 
I don't know. I don't ever feel different when I finish a book. I, you know, I'm always looking to the next thing. Um, and I know there's like, I, sometimes I reference this is a lot of, I, you know, actors, you know, I've, I've known actors throughout my life and, and a lot of them, even like the, who are big stars, whatever they, they kind of all tend to say the same thing. They always say they never watch their movies that they're in. They, they make the movie and then they move on and they don't want to, cause they're part of it is they, they don't, you know, like much like what I'm saying is they don't want to see themselves because all they'll do is nitpick to death their performance. And, um, but for me, it's, but I'm always on to the next thing. So I think when I finish a book, I'm energized to start something new right away. I'm always like, Oh, that was great. Um, hopefully, uh, and now I really want to start something else and I'll start thinking about what's next, what's next. And, um, so I think if anything, finishing a project energizes me to start something, you know, write something new, um, that's maybe different or that excites me or that interests me, um, uh, in a different way. Uh, so yeah. So I think the only thing I could say is that, I, you know, when I finish something, it just, I get energized to write something else right away. I'm just kind of, I think it's very satisfying, you know, very satisfying, to finish that project and then, and then be like, okay, great. Now I get to start to do something else. The only thing, the only caveat to that is <laughs> if the book sells, um, you spend so much time rewriting the book. Um, and that is versus like writing something new. And that is my least favorite part <laughs> of being yeah. a published author <laughs> is rewriting the same damn book, uh, 10 times because that's, um, man, it is, that is a slog and it can be because you know what happens, you know, you yeah. know, you know, every, you, you just, it's, it's, um, it's, it's grueling. It's, it's grueling and it's just brutal. <laughs> and you're just like, and then by usually by the end of it, I'm just like, if I have to read this book one more goddamn time, I'm going to lose my mind. And, um, but yeah, you do, you have to go through it again and again and you want it to be perfect, at least as perfect as possible. And, um, and that's also kind of a bummer because it takes away so much time from writing new things. And I think that was one of the things we talked about, you know, at the beginning, one of the things that was very difficult for me in the last year was I was, I, I couldn't write a lot of new stuff because I was, I literally had like, you know, I had, um, you know, an, uh, you know, I had a novel come out in November. I had a novel come out in December. I had a book story collection coming out and I come out in October and I just, and then I had these two books that are coming out next this year. Um, and they have a third collection coming out in October of this year. I have three books this year. So point being that I was spending so much time rewriting and editing all this, all these books and stories that I had already written, um, that I didn't really have much time to write anything new. And that was, that made it for a grueling year. And that's part of why I don't want to necessarily get into, um, publishing a lot of books every year, because frankly, for every book you publish, you know, that's months of, work of not just that's after the book is done, you know, rewriting it and dealing with the publishers and dealing with promotion and trying to get people, you know, to want to buy the book. And, and, uh, it's just, it's such a, it's such a lot of work and so time consuming. So I, I love to do it, but I don't love to do it times four at the same time. So, um, I want to kind of get that balance back a little bit where I'm spending time as much time writing as I am editing and or promoting and all that stuff that comes with, you know, being your own business. Yeah, because after you do all that re-editing and getting all that work done, and then you got to talk to people like us to promote it. I know <laughs> it's a pain in the ass, man. But uh, no, I'm, I'm obviously no, it, it is. Well, no, but it, but <laughs> no, like I said earlier, 
publishing the book is the reward for all that hard work. Yeah. When that book comes out and people are excited about it, hopefully, and the cover looks cool and you get to talk about it, um, or you get to go to a bookstore and sign copies of the book for people, that's the reward. That's the reward for all the hard work. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah, but it's just, you don't want to, you know, you gotta, you don't want to necessarily have like four books coming out at the same time is, you know, can be it can be too much and it takes away from writing new stuff which is when it gets a little frustrating yeah yeah oh totally because it changes your mindset yeah um no so no tyson parks the main character mm-hmm. um i have to say that um there's similarities in that person as there is to you is there some sort of um connection you have with this or something you're trying to perhaps work out in your own status by by choosing this type of story, as far as the character of Tyson is concerned, um, I I don't I definitely don't see me in Tyson. But one of the things that Tyson deals with, and I would uh, and I would say this is part of the one of the themes, one of the you know lesser themes of the story is you know we live in a new world, you know, as far as. Um, you know, diversity as far as, um, you know, awareness of other people's, um, you know, the, the whole Me Too movement and just and being more aware of ourselves and as a as a as a civilization, as a as a as humanity, we are so much more aware of ourselves now and we're so much more um, educated about ourselves and educated about uh, what other people are experiencing and that we don't have a lot of familiarity with, you know. And I think for a lot of people, it's a struggle, obviously. And a lot of people straight out reject it. Obviously, we all, we've all been on Twitter and it's such a conflict and there's so much hate and animosity and frankly, confusion. And, you know, when I talk to my parents, sometimes I'm like, whoa, you guys gotta, we gotta pull you into the, you know, the modern era in a way. And I think part of what Tyson is going through in this book is that confusion. He doesn't know how to be a contemporary writer. He's so stuck in his heyday of the, you know, of, of the, of the eighties and nineties that he's like completely baffled um, and rejectful of all sort of the new nuances that, you know, our current uh, society has and it comes, it's part of the book. If you, you know, it, he, he, there's actually a scene where he has like a fight with this editorial assistant about this very thing. And part of what I wanted to get into, uh, when writing the book is sort of, is sort of, um, writing something that was pointedly controversial with, in a sort of meta way, in, in the sense that it's like, the, what the character, like what the book is going through, what the you know what the character is going through in the story, but also what the character is going through in his life, if that makes sense, are kind of the same thing. And uh, you know, we're to the point where there's an Eminem quote at the beginning of the book where he talks, you know, we all need a little controversy, and and there's a twist at the end of the book that I won't give away that sort of like plays on this idea as well, where. And I, and there's a lot of readers and reviewers, I would say a handful maybe, who are going Goodreads or going Amazon and, and they talk about, you know, this was offensive and this was offensive and this was offensive. And where I'm kind of reading this stuff and kind of laughing a little bit because I'm like, 
they don't that's the point and it's the point is it's it's made pretty obvious if you really pay attention to the story and um and there's a lot of people who to do get it and who are like you know they understand that i was kind of like uh i was kind of using it as a vehicle in a way to kind of get across this theme of uh of that sort of societal confusion and um so it's kind of a lesser theme it's kind of below all the hysterics and all the monsters and all the horror um but that's something that i really wanted to get across with tyson's character and i'm not I don't think I, it's not so much about me as much as about, I know it's something that is about more of, um, I don't want to say torn from the headlines, but more something that I've seen so much of over the last few years. And I really wanted to kind of like write about that subject. So that's why I wanted Tyson to be kind of one of those guys that just didn't really get it. Right. Right. Yeah. Kind of like me. No, I just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I see no, uh, uh you also have another book coming out, I guess, in the summer. Hopefully, we get you back on for that when it comes out. Uh, Boys in the Valley. So now that's a that's a different type of uh, writing as well, isn't it? Yeah. So Boys in the Valley is completely different, really, than the last two books that we've talked about. It, um, it's a Boys in the Valley is um, it's about a group of orphans in nine, you know, nineteen oh five. They uh, in rural Pennsylvania at a, like a boys orphanage run by priests and um and these 30 boys they live and they work and they this, you know they have this they're all their diverse backgrounds and and they all have these horrible kind of lives in a way because they're obviously they're orphans and the priests are kind of hard on them and um and then like one night like something a man has comes to the orphanage and uh kind of brings an evil with him that sort of infiltrates the boys and it's kind of a Lord of the Flies uh, meets the actresses sort of thing. Um, but it's, that's a very character driven book in the sense that there's like 30 characters that I had to write about um, all between the ages of like, you know, eight and 16. And then of course the adults as well. So um, it was tricky, but the book has been, has just received absolutely mind blowing praise. Stephen King tweeted about it. Um, Cause what happened was it was released as a limited edition it wasn't really supposed to be released as like a worldwide trade edition. So I released it as a limited edition. They only made 400 odd copies. Um, and Stephen King saw a review of it and tweeted about it. And it became a big thing, big deal. Um, and since then sold it to Tor Nightfire. Uh, and they sold it to Orbit. And so it's getting a worldwide release in the UK and US on July 11th. And yeah, so the reviews have been through the roof on it so far. Um, so that's kind of my first, in a lot of ways, that's sort of my first big release, my sort of first, you know, worldwide release. I mean, um, Child Along with Strangers, you know, was, you know, came out with very little hoopla. The publisher really didn't do much to promote it. Kind of a smaller publisher. You know, Cemetery Dance is publishing Gothic, and Cemetery Dance is a very niche horror press uh they you know very indie um even though gothic's getting a lot of um acclaim and stuff and it's definitely getting out there you know ultimately cemetery dance is a smaller press and then so boys in the valley is my first like you know it's, it's a mcmillan here in the u.s and hachette in the uk so uh it'll be my first book that's got like a big um kind of a big blanket release with actual promotion behind it and all that kind of stuff so i'm very excited about that book um, I'm very excited to see how it does and I'll be touring pretty heavily for that over the summer. Um, and then the book I'm writing right now is actually the second book 
in my deal with um with Nightfire in orbit that will come out in 2024. So so yeah, very excited to be able to work with those guys and uh and I'm really hoping that the, that book takes off. And to your point Alan earlier, it's like these books that I have been publishing for the last 4 year, 5 years um you know, I think hopefully these this big release will you know, bring more attention to all, you know, to all those books that were, you know, sold by smaller presses and stuff like that. So it's, it's exciting time for me. I'm very curious to see how the next, uh, next year goes. Well, it's exciting. You know, we've got the Madonna world tour and now we've got the Philip Fricasi. <laughs> I was hoping to kind of hook up with Madonna and do like a, ask, I said, you want to do like a combo yeah. dates thing. We could sort of match up on the dates, you know, we could yeah. do like a book signing and then you could play. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard back. No, she's probably just behind on her emails right now. Right. That's what I figured. Yeah. I, figured she, I figured she was... Here, I'll give you her cell me, number if you want. Taking a bath, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it's exciting. So we'll see. You know, I've just... Uh, yeah, I'm going to really kind of pull out all the stops. I, you know, I, I'm taking two months off of everything just to kind of, you know, I'm going to hop in a van and just kind of drive around the country and uh, and sign as many books as I can and... um be careful. Anything I'm going last time right. I heard, remember last time I heard about van life, it didn't end well. So. <laughs> no, you'll be getting my hashtag van life updates all the time. You get Instagram and then soon the oh, FBI's yeah. chasing you. Come on, that doesn't end well. That's no. a, hey, that's there's no such thing as bad press. No. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't have dead somewhere, that's uh, you know. No, that would be <laughs> you know, it doesn't help then. Press does just doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. right? Exactly. You can't enjoy the uh so how do people get all these updates? So where where do you where do you um express your feelings to fans? Do you have like social media, website, uh, you know, hookup apps? Like what do you what do you do to meet your I do everything exclusively through WhatsApp. So yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um I don't know what to... <laughs> uh that isn't the only platform I am on. No, I'm, oh, I'm sure. on I'm in all the usual places. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. I even started a TikTok account because um because I kind of felt like it was necessary. Um, and uh, I have a website, pfricasi.com, which is the best place. Uh, but, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. There's a, there's a nice there's a, a, a fan group on Facebook called Fricasi Freaks that was started by a few guys, uh, and that gets a lot of – there's a lot of people on that, and it's a lot of fun to kind of hop in and give them little exclusives and, you know, sneak peeks of covers and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so basically – my website, pfricasi.com or Facebook, Twitter are the best. Instagram are the best places to find me. Great. We'll have all that up on the website. People Thank can you. find it with one click. Now, we've been talking to the Philip Fricasi, who's going on tour with Madonna this summer. And, he'll be, <laughs> and right now, his new book is called Gothic. Get out there and buy it. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.